I'm not sure which one that is. But um, one thing that I'm sure of is that we're fascinated. We're fascinated with stories like that. Stories, rags to riches, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I, I just think it's because we all have a desire to be extraordinary at some level, something in our life. To really succeed. It's the reason why every little boy in America has hit the game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth inning with two outs in the seventh game of the World Series. Every one of us has done that in our backyard. It's why every little girl in America has dressed up in her mom's clothes and perfected the wave and won the Miss America contest. You see, it's also the reason why a lot of Americans in midlife become depressed. Because the hope of the extraordinary is fading away fast as we look in the mirror. Those things that we dreamed about, if you would ask me when I was 10 years old, what are you going to do? I'm going to play in the NBA and I'm going to win a World Cup. That's What else would you do as a 10-year-old boy, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to accomplish that. Well, uh, my bad knees and lack of athletic ability has kept me from both of those, achieving both of those. So we all see it. We all want it. We all desire something extraordinary to happen through us in this world in our life. So today, what I hope you will see, what I hope this message will be, will be hope to you. It will be a hopeful message. That God does and is doing extraordinary things through you. And the problem is our definition of extraordinary. So let's pray. Let's ask God to be with us and we're going to turn to Acts 8. That's where we're going to land today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we need your help. We desperately need You to clarify in our eyes. Help us to see, help us to hear what it is you want us to hear today. May your word penetrate our hearts and give us hope, a purpose, and a vision for what you desire and what you call extraordinary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you will, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. And we will be reading from there. And Saul approved of his execution. He's talking about Stephen's death, which we talked about last week. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. And Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did... For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had, them, who had them. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So in our story, persecution hits Jerusalem directly after Stephen's death. Saul ramps it up. 
And he's persecuting everyone in the church, everyone who would call on the name of Christ. Women, men, all of them being thrown in jail. And what happens from that is then a great flood of people scatter from Jerusalem under that persecution. And there's an incredible thing in these first few verses of Acts 8 that I don't want you to miss. Because the church is being flung out. They're scattering, but who's not leaving Jerusalem? The apostles, the leaders, the guys that are performing all the miraculous miracles and testifying to the gospel, they're staying in Jerusalem. It's the ordinary folk that are leaving town and being flung all over. It's the fulfillment of Acts 1-8 that they would go to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and being Christ's witnesses to those places, but it's not the people you think would be doing the witnessing. It's not the professional guys. It's not the apostles. It's the ordinary people like you, like me. It's really miraculous. God's plan is to use ordinary people to accomplish Acts 1-8. And it's vital that you and I understand that today. Because this hasn't changed. God still uses ordinary people, the gospel in their hearts, in their mouths, and taking it to everyone that he brings them in contact with. That's his plan. That his church would be scattered. That's why every Sunday afternoon, after we gather together as God's people, what do we do? We scatter. And we take the gospel to every little street and nook and cranny and workplace and school that we all are involved in. The question is whether or not we proclaim Christ within those times, within those places. This is how the gospel gets to the people in the streets. Not by the apostles. Not by the big names that you all can list. One ordinary person at a time, speaking the love of Christ into their friends and their families and their co-workers' lives. People at the grocery store, the people at the gas station, people that you come in contact every single day. This is the way that God plans for His work of redemption, His mission to happen. Through you and through me. The ordinary folk. Philip, he was a deacon. He was one of the deacons, one of the seven in Acts 6. Just the ordinary guys that were raised up to be a second-tier leadership under the apostles because the apostles needed to be praying and ministering the word, and there were a lot of people to be served, and so they raised up these men. Stephen was another one of them, uh, the one we saw last week who was martyred for his faith. And now this next generation of leaders is taking on this mission, and they are taking it to the streets, and they're handing it to other people. It's an absolute amazing picture unfolding. You see, the gospel gets to other people through ordinary people. We become ministry providers, not ministry consumers, as Tim Keller would talk about. 
We're not to consume the ministries of the church. We're to provide ministries outside these walls. When you're scattered, you are a gospel provider, a herald, servant to everyone you come in contact with. And God has you in each one of those spheres in your life for a reason. It's not just by happen chance that you live by who you live with, you work who you work with, you engage who you engage on a daily basis. That's not by accident. And it sure isn't by accident that Philip steps out into Samaria. It's the hand of God. Philip steps into Samaria and proclaims Christ. Now, I have no words or no illustration to help you understand what a bold step for Philip that is. He's a Jewish Christian. Jews and Samaritans had hated one another for centuries. There was so much bad blood and wounds and all kinds of things that all of them need counseling for, that there was no way that Philip was going to step over that line. If anybody could be written off by a Jewish Christian as unreachable, it would have been a Samaritan. Unwilling to go there. They're too lost. They're half-breeds. We're not going there. His step required great courage and belief in the mission of Christ. And not only were they to witness in Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria. Do you see what Jesus' command does for the church? It says, look, you may be good with reaching Jerusalem. You may be even reaching Judea, and that's awesome. But what about those people you hate? What about those people you've written off and say they're too far gone? What about that neighbor that kicks your dog that you hate? What about that guy? What about the guy that puts ruts in your front yard every so often and tears up your lawn? What about those guys? What about those people that you just cannot fathom reaching out to? Jesus gives the church no room to squirm. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You see, I used to think that because I grew up in the inner city and I grew up with a lot of, of people from lots of different um, races and ethnic groups that I didn't have a prejudice. My best friends were black, Hispanic, white, broad spectrum. And I, I really prided myself in that. And I felt like when the Lord saved me that he would continue to use me as a bridge in those realms and bring people together. Until I went to New York City when I was in college on a mission trip to do sports evangelism in the inner city. I figured, I grew up in the inner city. I'm good. I can do this. is easy. 
And I got stuck on a team with a bunch of southern boys from rural places all over the south. We stuck out like a sore thumb. It was really funny. And then they even gave us these bright orange backpacks before that color was really cool. And so we really stuck out uh, like sore thumbs all over the city, going into the, going into the park, setting up stuff and doing all kinds of things. And I loved it until I came across two young men. And I realized that I did have a prejudice. It had nothing to do with the color of their skin. It had everything to do with the attitude in which they approached me. See, these kids were on their way to being some probably pretty severe gangbangers. I grew up in the inner city fighting and beating on and being beat on by guys with those attitudes. And something in my heart was so hardened that I thought it was going to be my spiritual gift this week to knock them down a few pegs. They were prideful, arrogant young men who looked me in the face and just were like, and I thought, this is why God brought me here. I'm going to knock you down a couple... I'm not going to fight you, but let's get on the basketball court so I can knock you down a few pegs and we can get, the, get on with this. And I know I can share Christ with you, right? No, I was mad, angry, and did not want to share Christ with those two young men. And I went back to my hotel and hung out with the guys that I was there with, and I just confessed to them. I said, guys, I'm struggling. I'm seeing stuff in my heart that I didn't even know was there. And they prayed for me and encouraged me and held me accountable. And I asked God to break my heart for those two guys. And he was gracious too. And I was able to share Christ with them. But I realized I'm not as good as I thought I was. That there are people that I'm not really sure I want to share Jesus with. Who are those people for you? Who are the Samaritans in your life? It may not be a skin color or an ethnicity. It may be a personality or a cultural issue. Where's the great Barrier of hostility for you. Jesus leaves no room. You take the gospel to Samaria. You make a step. You go that direction. You see, those two young men needed the gospel. And my heart almost kept them from hearing it. Yours may be across the kitchen table from you, across the street, on the other side of a cubicle. You know, that wall can get pretty high even though you can stand and look over it. It can get pretty broad. Where is it? God wants to use ordinary people like you and like me to step across those great divides with the gospel to bring peace where there's hostility. To love those that we have a hard time loving.
who are enemies. And not only does he use ordinary people, he uses just flat out ordinary circumstances. Philip was an ordinary guy, pushed out of his hometown or out of Jerusalem, out of the center of where he was living, by persecution. You know, opportunities for gospel work often don't come by deliberate planning. It's good to have a plan. They sometimes come as a result of circumstances that just develop. Most of the gospel opportunities that come your way just come your way through ordinary life. People God brings into your life. People who you move and you live next door to now. And, or people that move in next door to you. Or whatever that case may be. You know, maybe your suffering is bringing you into relationship with people who hear, need to hear the gospel. Maybe the doctor or the nurse that's caring for you. Maybe other people that are coming alongside you in the middle of your suffering and your hurt, your pain, your life, are there to hear the hope of the gospel. Maybe he, God is using the situations in your life to get you out of your Jerusalem and on the way. Maybe he doesn't want you to live there in comfort with everybody, all the other believers and the apostles and all the fun stuff that's going on. Maybe he doesn't want you there. Maybe you're called to northern Iraq. Maybe you're called to someplace else. Maybe it's just a walk across the street. These lifetimes bring great opportunity for the gospel. And we need to realize not to overlook those opportunities each day. Each day you live, each day you draw breath, each day you step out of your bed and are able to go to work or wherever, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to glorify God, to share the gospel and proclaim Him wherever God may take you. The question is, will you take the courageous step? Will you do it? Will you step into Samaria, wherever that is? You know, the Spirit of God empowered Philip to witness and do extraordinary things. He was just an ordinary refugee. But his witness was full of truth and power. And God used it. He proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. And these people actually paid attention. How many times have you shared the gospel and gotten the... And you're like, dude, you're not even, what are you thinking about? You're not even paying attention to me now. You, you have turned me off about the time I said Jesus. It was over. That's, that's something you can't control. What makes people pay attention is not only do they hear, but they see. 
text says that they heard and they saw in verse 6. They heard the message and they saw these amazing things going on. They were, we're going to find out later in this passage, this wasn't the first time they saw amazing things. But when they heard the message, coupled with these amazing things, they believed. The Spirit used a courageous, ordinary man of faith to bring healing and freedom and salvation in the name of Jesus. And the city was filled with joy. What brings joy to a broken heart? What brings joy to the wounded, to the crushed? What will transform a city? Ordinary believers like you and me taking the gospel message and living it out before other people in really tangible Powerful ways. You see, the message of Jesus, the crucified, risen Messiah, is what? It's a stumbling block for most. It's nonsense to a lot of people. But when the Spirit empowers your testimony and the truth of the gospel... People will take notice... Some will even turn from their sins and trust in Christ and be saved from the wrath of God. There is nothing more extraordinary than that. Your ordinary life used in the hand of a loving God to bring people to Himself Are you kidding me? Billions do not compare. These people that we just watched, some of them did great things, but they fall in comparison to the fact of being used by God to bring somebody from death to life. From someone from the wrath of God to joy everlasting. There's Nothing more extraordinary than that one thing. And that's why Christ came into your life and He's moved and He's shaped you and He's changed you. That's why. So that you would live the abundant life, the extraordinary life. That somehow, some way, God is going to use you, this little pot of clay, He's going to use you to bring life to dead people. That's extraordinary. Far more than winning six championships or whatever. The question I have for you is this. Do you believe? Do you believe God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? Do you believe He can use you? I'm not so convinced. I wasn't this week as I meditated on that. I'm not sure I'm convinced that God can use me. 
in extraordinary ways. But he tells me differently. So do you believe an entire city could find joy if each one of us scattered out of this place this afternoon took it seriously and proclaimed Christ wherever we went? Do you believe? Do you believe that what happened in Jerusalem and Samaria with great numbers of people coming to Christ could happen in Tyler Run and Heritage and Wakefield and Youngsville, Wake Forest? Do you believe that? Do you believe he wants to use you to do it? Faith in Christ turns every ordinary event of your life into an extraordinary opportunity. An obedience to live and proclaim the gospel wherever you go is really an extraordinary life. So stop believing the lies. Stop believing that you don't have an extraordinary, unbelievable, majestic purpose. You do. You do. So with that being said, Luke goes on in his narrative and he introduces us to someone who brings a few warnings to our life in this process. His name's Simon, a magician. And the text tells us that this man named Simon, who previously practiced magic in the city, amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. You have people all around you. Family, co-workers, neighbors, friends who are being duped by modern day magicians. Who are telling them that they have the key to whatever ails them. And they call themselves great. Simon was no run-of-the-mill birthday party magic trick guy. This man could do some stuff. He held a whole city, an area, in amazement for a long time, the text says. You don't do that out of, like, you know, hiding something in your shirt. He was doing some stuff. And we live in an age when there are people all around performing great and miraculous things and drawing attention to themselves and saying, look at me, come follow me. And that's why your neighbors, your friends, your family need you to come alongside them and speak the love of Christ into their life so they wouldn't be duped into some magician's trick. And it's being piped into your homes and my home through television and through all kinds of other things. The secret to good life. The secret to what ails you. And they'll give you all these testimonials about how this little thing or this person changed their entire way of thinking in life. 
God's put you in these people's lives for a reason, and that is to proclaim the goodness of Christ. Whether they sneer at you, whether they call it nonsense, that's why you're there. But to do it lovingly and caring and wanting with open arms to love them. Because this is what happened. When Philip shows up, it's different. He has a lot of signs and wonders and miraculous things going on too. He's, you know, exercising uh, spirits from people. He's healing the lame and the paralyzed and all that. He's doing those things, but all of a sudden it's connected to a message. And it's not pointed at Philip, it's pointed at someone else. His signs and wonders point to someone else, not to himself. It's pointed to a message that these people believed. And they were baptized. Even Simon believed and was baptized. The Spirit of God was moving and drawing people to himself. You see, they didn't call Philip great. The people of Samaria looked at Jesus and called him great. He's the one they believed in, the Messiah, the Christ. He's the one. So, as the story progresses, word gets back to Jerusalem. That something's going on in Samaria. It's kind of crazy. The word has taken root in Samaria. And so, the apostles in Samaria send Peter and John, kind of like Larry Trotter and Mark Lederbach going to figure out whether or not this is legit or not. And so they go down to Samaria and to figure out what's going on. To see if this is really the deal. And something amazing in this text hits us. When they get there, they realize that Samaria had received the word of God um, but the Holy Spirit hadn't fall, fallen on them yet. They'd been baptized in the name of Jesus, but the Spirit of God had not, not indwelt them yet. And so the apostles laid their hands on them, and they received the Spirit. Now, my temptation is to fly past this and go on to the next thing, because there's way too many questions here. But because you're going to fill my inbox tomorrow with all kinds of stuff, let's take a quick look, but we got to move on. Okay, this is a whole nother sermon, and I had to discipline myself not to write two sermons this week. But here's the thing. Remember the context. The text does not tell us why the delay of the Holy Spirit on the believers in Samaria. We don't know. But think about the context that we've been working in. Think about what's been going on. The Jews snubbing their nose at Samaritans and Samaritans snubbing their nose at the Jews. And nowhere else, uh, after Pentecost, other than this place in the book of Acts, do you see this delay. So I believe that it wasn't a two-tiered salvation. But this was an extraordinary act of God bringing Two hostile groups together and making them one. Jews 
and the Samaritan believers. Peter and John lay hands on these people and they affirm what's going on and they receive the Holy Spirit. Then the people in Jerusalem and the Jewish Christians are going to say, well, it's It's legit. And the Samaritans are going to look at the apostles and say, yes. See, just a few verses later, in Acts 9.31, we see that it's just commonplace for Samaritans to be in the church. And it says that the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. God was calling People together who were not a people, who would be his people, zealous for good deeds. I believe that's what he was doing. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program, Simon has his eyes light up. He watches Peter and John lay hands on these guys. He sees the Holy Spirit fall, and he's like, whoa. I want that. Whatever it takes, I'll pay you for it. I want that. I want that gift. I want the ability to do that. Hmm. Let's look to see Peter's response. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall and of bitterness in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. The warning of this text is that Simon still wanted to be extraordinary and great. And he was willing to do whatever it took. And he wanted to use Jesus to get it. Signs and wonders are not to be worshipped. Gifts are not to be worshipped. They're supposed to point to Jesus. They are not to be adding to our fame, but to His. The warning is this. Everyone who says they believe and are baptized are not necessarily disciple of Christ. Jesus calls us to come and die. To make him great. To point to him, to give him fame. He calls us to come and give everything. And Simon's sin is diagnosed by Peter in verse 21. And he says, look, your heart's bent. You're broke, bro. Your heart is messed up. And there's only one thing that you have to understand. 
You have a Jesus plus theology, Simon. Jesus plus people's praise. Jesus plus power. How many people around you live trapped in the same sin? Jesus plus wealth. Jesus plus health. Jesus plus you fill in the blank. They're living out the warning of Simon's life right now. They want to be extravagant. They want to be seen as a success. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Southern Southern fried Christianity is filled with it. It's absolutely filled with people like Simon. Churches all around are filled with him. People who claim Christ, they've been baptized. They believe that he's their savior. He's not the Lord of their life. He's not the all. Jesus is just a way for them to get what they want. They are still the Lord of their life. They still want to be rich. They still want this. They still want that. And Jesus is the way that they're trying to get it. This is why you and I, ordinary people, have to take the gospel into our friends' and family's homes, into our home, into our own hearts, and preach to ourselves against that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes before the Father except through Jesus. Not Jesus plus, not Jesus anything else. It's just Jesus. And I fear, I fear many do not believe. And so, what is Peter's encouragement to Simon? Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Change your heart. Pray for forgiveness that God would change this in you. That he would give you faith to believe. That he would fill you with his Holy Spirit. That he would make you new. And it's as simple as that. Repent. Deny your sin. Walk away from it. Walk toward Christ in belief that He is all you have. He is all you will ever have. He is all that you need. And He is the one that gives you an extraordinary life. The people that you live around need to hear that. They don't need to hear any easy believism or Jesus plus anything. They need to hear Repent. Turn from your sin. And believe that Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died the death you should have died. He rose again on the third day to give you life extravagantly. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's the story you should be telling and I should be telling every moment of our day, every place in our life. So, Simon says, pray for me. He looks to the specialist again to give him healing. 
He looks to the apostle to pray for him. And you've heard it many times and I've heard it. People will say, pray for me. Pray for me that I will change. Peter says, no, Simon, you repent. You pray. You turn from your sin. You pray for forgiveness. It's a radically different thing going on there. You can come into my office. You can confess your sin in a little confessional and I can pray for you. But unless you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ, it does no good. Repent and believe. And what happens? The apostles, Peter and John, they take off from there and what do they do? They go on their, way to Samaria, on their way to Jerusalem through all the villages of Samaria preaching the gospel. The ordinary people encourage the professionals to do what they should be doing. Going throughout all the villages and preaching the gospel. Not sitting in Jerusalem. It's amazing. Your stories, not that I'm an apostle, but doggone it, you expect me to share the gospel with people, right? That's my profession per se. But your stories, they inspire me. They encourage me to do what I'm supposed to do. Proclaim the gospel every venue you're in, wherever you find yourself, whatever you're doing. So here is the hope that we have today. As long as you're drawing breath on this earth, you're not out of time. Your prime for extraordinary things is not over. Today. Today you can live with the extraordinary potential that you've been given. You were created to be image bearers of God. You were redeemed to shed the light of the gospel everywhere. As John Piper likes to say, you are to reflect back to God the radiance of his worth. So as his glory shines down on you, you're to be a reflector. Now what happens when a bright light reflects off of something back at you? Gets your attention, doesn't it? When one of the guitars up here catches the light just right and it shines in your face, it catches your attention. When Christ's light shines through you in a dark world to your neighbor, your friend, your family member, it will get their attention. They may not accept it, they may not like it, but it will get their attention. You have been given an extremely amazing gift. to be a vital part of God's redeeming mission on the earth. You and me. Can you believe it? Can you believe that you and I get to do this? That's crazy. If people knew the true story about your life, they would say it was crazy too. But you do. 
So when you scatter out these doors, what are you going to do? You're going to take the step? You're going to take the step to just be bold and just to share the love of Christ with passion and courage, but also marked with great compassion. What will you do? Just live the ordinary American life? Or the extraordinary Christian life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that your spirit is alive and well in your church. And Lord, thank you for passages like this that demand a response from us. I do ask that you would take the ordinary people in this room and help us live extraordinary lives. That we would spread the light and beauty of the gospel from this place out into the far reaches of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.